0: Here's today's stem tip. Don't throw out that old plastic bottle. Repurpose it by turning it into an awesome terrarium. Just fill it with sand, pebbles, soil, and your favorite plant. It'll grow sealed right in its own ecosystem. Learn more at SheCanStem. A message from the ad council.
1: This episode of the Mighty Parenting podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses Plus. Now is the time to learn. Kids might be back in school, but they don't have the activities and commitments they normally have, so they definitely have more time on their hands. And I know that extra time can be troubling for parents sometimes. Well, The Great Courses Plus can help them use that time productively and enjoyably. They'll get to keep learning without even realizing that that's what's happening. The courses are amazing. They're taught by world-class professors and experts, so the whole family has the opportunity to discover new worlds and learn about any topic that interests you. I know my girls are as different as night and day, and they've both found things that pique their curiosity. Personally, my only problem is finding enough time to listen to everything that I'm interested in. Well, right now, my listeners can get free access to the entire library of The Great Courses Plus, so you can check it out and see all that they have. Just pop on over to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mightyparenting and sign up today. Remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash mightyparenting.
0: Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults.
1: Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. And I just want to remind you to pop on over to MightyParenting.com. We have a free email series there for you, how to talk to your teen. So you can go over there, get that, and let me know how those tips are working for you. Today, we are talking about parenting a teen who is addicted to drugs. And we're not gonna be talking about somebody who's in recovery or has moved through recovery. We have some stories about that. And of course, I'll add some, uh, some other shows in our show notes that are tangential to this. But what we want to talk about today is being a parent to a child who is actively abusing drugs. And I know this is not an upbeat, pretty topic, and many would say it's not an uplifting one, but I think the show is uplifting. And I believe it's because we're all here to understand, to understand what other parents are going through to understand how we can support another family who may be living through this, to understand what our teens are going through, and to understand what it means for us and how we as a parent can live through and move through this. We know that addiction is not selective. It is not governed by geographic, economic, or ethnic boundaries. And so I am grateful to Brenda Zane for joining us today. She's going to be talking to us and she's going to be sharing her story in order to give parents some support and some direction and some hope. Brenda is a Mayo Clinic certified health and wellness coach and founder of The Stream, which is an online community to help support moms of kids with substance use disorder. And she has lived this. She knows this. So Brenda, thank you so much for joining us on Mighty Parenting today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Brenda, I think that what you do with sharing your story is so brave and so generous. And so I just want to start off by thanking you for doing that. And especially for thanking you, I want to thank you for doing that with our Mighty Parenting community here today
0: oh yeah thank you it's you know it's um it's something that you have to get to i think a few years ago i couldn't have done what i do now but i really you know we'll talk about this a little bit i i do believe i've been given a gift that not a lot of parents receive um and, and that is to be able to talk about the, you know, the struggles of families who have a child who's in addiction and it's not, you know, like you said, it's not a pretty topic, but it's reality for so many parents that I think we just have to start opening up the conversation more. So I'm, I'm grateful for you for, for having a platform and being willing to have, have me on.
1: Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, this is a subject that touches my heart. Um, Those who are longtime listeners have heard my co-founder, Judy Davis, talk about their family's story and her son's suicide attempt and then discovering that he was a drug and alcohol addict and how they lived through that. And Judy and I have been friends since college. So while her experience is her experience, there's also this experience of how do you how do you help a friend who's going through this? And especially when you can't understand it until you're there, there's no way I can understand what you know what she went through. So this is still a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I want very much to provide support and hope for parents who are going through this. I want to help parents who aren't necessarily going through it to understand what we can do to be an honest to goodness help or support to somebody. And I also want us all as parents to be willing to do the very scary thing. If we do not have a child who is addicted, I want us to be able to sit with ourselves for a minute and listen to this show and learn a little bit about what to look for because... Addiction is not selective, as we've said. It's it's across all socioeconomic backgrounds, geographic areas. It doesn't matter. It can happen to anybody, anywhere. And the more awake and aware we are about signs, the better chance we have of supporting and helping our child. So um, I think it's an important conversation. And I know you have so much. To share with us. I, I did read your entire story online, which I, I is so well written and it it was like spellbinding. I just, I went in and read it from end to end, the whole thing. But I'd like to actually back up a little. So first of all, you have two sons
0: and your,
1: yes. your older son, you name him John for purposes of, of sharing your story, right?
0: Right. Yes. Yes. I actually have four boys. So I have oh, okay. two of my own. And then I gained two in love through marriage to my current husband. So we have a lot of testosterone in our family <laughs> with four boys. <laughs> <laughs> they range from uh, 14, we have 14, 15, 20, and 23. So yeah, my 23-year-old is, um, I call him my my special project child. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, and and so on the website you share the story of what happened when John overdosed. But I would like to actually go back in time and look at your life before you realized your son was addicted. Because I, now it's I'm using the word easy, but I mean it's you know it's easy to in hindsight, right, to look back and go, okay, this is what was happening. This is what was going on. But I want to kind of go back to you, Brenda, in that Mm -hmm. time period where you didn't know he was an addict. And what, like, kind of what happened? What woke you up to the fact that this is what was going on?
0: Well, we, um, let's see, I will rewind. So when I started really noticing some changes, and I think a lot of parents notice this and and in a lot of the experts I've talked to around eighth grade. So eighth grade tends to be a time when kids are usually um, attending a new school or they've, you know, they're maybe in their second year of middle school and they're exposed to a lot more kids, a lot more experiences. And I noticed, um, you know, that my son was hanging out with new people because there were just a lot you know, he moved from an elementary school to a middle school. So you've just got kind of an exponential number of kids from all different areas. And we had lived in a very small, tight knit community where all the parents knew each other. We called ourselves a village. Like, you know, it was one of those things where we all knew each other. We all hung out together. We had a beach club where we spent time together and had dinners and you know, we all checked on each other on sleepovers and it really was this little village of parents kind of helping each other out. And, and all the kids are about 10 boys, all the same age that were just this crew. Um, And so I noticed that he was, you know, hanging out with different kids and he had always been a, um, I don't want to say a difficult child because it's not difficult, but he was, he was very challenging in the perspective that he was um, incredibly intelligent, incredibly verbally, um, more kind of advanced than, than other kids. He was diagnosed with ADD, and AD, or ADD, not ADHD. He didn't have the hyperactivity, but he had the just the distraction. Um, and so there were a lot of things going on, but um, when sort of the first red flag went up is when he was caught with marijuana in eighth grade. And at school, and so that was a red flag. And you know, a lot of parents, I think, go through this where you start having these these little things that pop up, that happen. And you know, as things progressed from eighth grade to ninth grade to tenth grade, there were new friends. You know, a new group of friends coming in that didn't seem they weren't in any way connected to our neighborhood. Um, I did know their parents. They. S- didn't quite seem as sort of, you know, open and like they just weren't our neighborhood kids. And so I think, you know, you do, you, you look at kind of all of these lists of what to look for and they always say, you know, grades are going to change and the friend group will change. And that's really true. I mean, it it's almost seems so easy, but those things are really, really true things to look out for. And so, I knew that he was experimenting, you know, with obviously with marijuana. I knew that he had been experimenting with alcohol because there's parties and, you know, he'd come home a few times and I could tell that he had been drinking. And so as the parent, you're sort of having to navigate that and say, is this just a phase? Because kids obviously do go through this, you know, phase of experimentation and sort of distancing from their parents at that age. Or is this something more serious? And I think that's a a big challenge for a lot of parents um, in that you know, that eighth, ninth, tenth grade range,
1: well, and that's where my brain is at, too, right? Is you know as a parent, we're listening to you, and we already know that yes. he, he becomes an addict and he yes. overdoses. So we're like, Oh my gosh, we don't we need to stop this now. And that's not always the case either. So right. You know I don't know if he's talked to you. i'm I'm kind of curious, you know, from his standpoint, what he says about why he well, why he got involved with the marijuana and then other drugs, and you, know, how his addiction unfolded from his viewpoint,
0: yes. Yeah, so we have. We've done a lot of talking. Um, and he, you know, I think he really struggled when when he was diagnosed with adD. We tried. Ritalin, we tried all the different medications, and he hated all of them. Um, but, you know, later on, he would say, Mom, the only time I feel normal is when I smoke pot. That's the only time I feel normal. And so I think there's just, you know, some kids that have that kind of hyperactivity or they have the distraction where their mind is always going and he's always thinking. And, and so that really sort of helped him calm down and he would self medicate in that way. Um, You know, and then he was just, he was one of those kids that was just wired for risk and wired for danger and wired for adventure. And so, you know, and this was from the time he would crawl. I was pulling him away from the light sockets, you know, when he was crawling. So, and I think parents recognize some, some kids are like that. And so I think you have that combination of, you know, some social pressure. He started to sort of lose touch with the friends in the neighborhood because they were all very athletic and they all... You know, he wasn't necessarily as athletic. And so they just sort of had that natural distancing. And then when he was caught with the marijuana, all the other parents in the neighborhood were kind of like, you know, we don't necessarily want our kids hanging around you because now you're the kid who's doing drugs. Um, And so there's that social distancing too that happens. And kids are naturally going to try and find friends. And so the friends that he found didn't require, you know, the bar was very low <laughs> to be mm-hmm. a friend. And so, um, you know, as he would try new new substances, because he was sort of, you know, he liked that. He liked experimentation. He liked trying new things. You know, it just got more and more um, frequent. And it just sort of helped him cope with The pressure of being a teenager is hard, you know, just in itself, and then to also sort of lose touch with your friends. And then his dad and I went through a divorce, which, you know, retroactively, like you said, in hindsight, looking back, um, just shattered his world. He was such a highly sensitive kid, and it just crushed him. And of course, on the outside, he didn't portray that, Um, you know, on the outside, he was fine. But when his dad and I divorced, it really, it it really Impacted him, and he felt a tremendous amount of loss. You know that he didn't have a family anymore, even though he did, and it was amicable. And you know, we still had family dinners together. And all of my friends were like, "It's so weird. You guys have the weirdest divorce. Like, did you really get divorced?" Um, So for us, it felt pretty okay. And for him, his world was just shattered. So there was a lot going on in his mind that we didn't see and we didn't know. But I would say for parents who are wondering, is this a phase or not? if you really are losing that connection with your kid if it's the kid that you've always known and loved and and yes there's going to be moments where they're you know um argumentative and where they're distant but if at the root you still have that relationship even if they are experimenting once in a while um it's going to be only once in a while and and you'll be able to tell that you've still got that parental connection Um, what we realized is we were, we, we had lost that eventually. And I would say that was by the time he was about 15 and a half. Um, it was kind of like, who is this person living in my house? And he wasn't even addicted to the, to drugs at that point. It was more addiction to this lifestyle and these kids who really didn't have any parental support. They didn't have to be home anytime. It was kind of like this crazy fun life that he had discovered through these other friends. Um, And, and so, you know, if you're seeing a consistent pattern of, of substance use, a consistent pattern of not coming home or skipping school, you know, things become to a point where you're like, Hmm, this is not, this is not just a phase. And, And you do get there and you sort of, it's easy to put your head in the sand and say, Oh, this is just a phase because you want it to be, but you really, I think have to, be the strong parent and, and pull your head up and say, wait a minute, this is not, this is not a phase um, and get help in your corner. And it's not, you know, it's not a, a weak thing to ask for help as a parent. But when we got to the point where we were like, we're not going to be able to parent our way out of this, there's just too much going on. That's when we really kind of stepped up our efforts as, you know, as a team to say, we got to get control over this.
1: It's interesting to me one phrase that your one sentence you said in there really stands out because I've talked with a lot with Judy and, and I work to a certain degree in the world of depression, addiction, suicide. And yes, the patterns, everything that you said about that is true. And there's something else because you said he told you, Mom, the only time I feel normal is when I smoke pot. And in yeah. Jeffrey's story, when he shares his, Judy's son, he was. Much younger. He was in elementary school. And I forget what the injury was. I think he broke an arm or a hand or something. And Judy gave him the pain pill from the doctor Mm -hmm. because this child was in agonizing pain. And he looked at her and went, That's the best thing ever. All the pain is gone. And as a mom who's been watching her child be in agony for hours and hours through sitting through the ER and getting the set and everything else, she was like, oh, thank goodness he doesn't hurt. But what he meant was all the emotional pain is gone. Yes. Yes. And so that I think is another clue that we can listen for as parents is the part of the quote unquote real reason behind doing using drugs or alcohol, as you said, self-medicating. And there are other things they they can self-medicate with. They can self-medicate with thrill-seeking and cutting and all kinds of things. Right. So it's yeah. the, why are they doing that? As we talk about here Mighty Parenting, get curious and and be really listening and trying to maintain that, that relationship um, and being willing to do something else that you just said, which is painful, but essential. And that is not bury our head in the sand.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You work, you know, you spend time, you, you spend a lot of time with moms who are going through this. You went through this. How much do you think burying our heads in the sand as parents factor into the pain we feel or we feel in this process, the guilt we feel later, um, you know, our child's path, how essential is it, do you think, for us to be willing to not bury our heads?
0: I think I think a lot of it has to do with um, stigma, and so you know, if you if you think your kid is using drugs or alcohol, whatever, um, to to say that to somebody and to say ah, I'm really worried, you know, I, this happened or that happened. It, it just, you know, if you're saying that to a girlfriend over coffee or whatever, you're going to get a really different reaction than if you say, oh, we just found out, you know, my son has a brain tumor. It, it's just such a stigmatized problem to have that it, I think for for some parents just to keep quiet and even if your head isn't even in the sand, even if you've pulled your head out of the sand, you still don't want to talk about it because it's... it's um, people think it says something about their parenting skills. And I know I felt that, that, well, if I had been a better parent, if I'd been a better mom, if I hadn't, you know, I worked a ton and I traveled, I was an advertising executive and I was always on the road. And I thought if I hadn't worked so much, you know, maybe he wouldn't be doing this. Or if we hadn't got divorced, maybe he wouldn't be doing this. And so you're just kind of playing this guilt game. And while you're doing that, you're, the clock is ticking, and, the, and your child is continuing to experiment and continuing to put themselves at risk. And so as much as it might be tempting to do that, I think, especially these days with the dangers of fentanyl and, and the other really, really powerful, you know, substances that are out there, you don't have the luxury of time to do that. Really, you need to to recognize this is a huge problem. And I didn't positive, you know, I, I, I don't have the time to feel guilty about it because I didn't make this happen. And let me think about this in terms of if my son did have a brain tumor, what would I do? Would I put my head in the sand and just think, Oh, you know, this sucks. And I don't know what to do. And I don't want to tell anybody you, you wouldn't do that. And so what I try to encourage the moms that I work with is to say, Think of this as any other life-threatening disease because it is a life-threatening disease. And if your child had leukemia or brain cancer or whatever it was, you would be the fiercest mama out there finding every resource, every specialist, every everybody that you could to, to come in and help your kid. And so reframing that a little bit um, takes away the stigma of it and also just kind of spurs action, I think, a little bit faster.
1: I really like the idea of reframing it as any other life-threatening disease for both the families involved and those of us on the outside going, I don't know what to say when you tell me that your child is addicted. I I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to come across as judgmental. I have no idea what will actually help. But I think for us to be able to go, well, what if? What if they told me that John had cancer? or leukemia or what, which is cancer. But you know, what, what if they told me that one of these other things was happening, what would I do and right. just step in and do that? But I'm curious for you as a mom in that situation, what, what would have really helped you? What would you like people to come out of the woodwork and do, or did people come out of the woodwork and do that was really helpful?
0: Well, I kind of didn't let anybody have the opportunity to come out of the woodwork for a long time because I didn't, I didn't tell anybody Um, because you don't, you typically don't say anything. And then it wasn't until his, you know, addiction and his lifestyle really started impacting, especially my work, because I was in a very kind of senior position. I was working with clients directly. I was traveling a lot. And so when I was having to cancel business trips, and, you know, go to get a to the bail bondsman in the middle of the day to get, you know, it's just like when things like that started happening, I had to open up a bit. Um, and I think what would be helpful is, like you said, what would you say if a friend just told you that their child was diagnosed with cancer? You know, you would say, oh, my gosh, that must be so scary. And I think just validating the scariness of it, the unknown of it. Um, the exhaustion of it and not, not trying to fix it, not trying to put any sort of judgment on it at all, but just to say, I can't imagine how scary that must be and how exhausted you must be. Is there anything I can do? Um, That's what you would say to somebody whose child was just diagnosed with a brain tumor. So say the same thing to your friend whose kid is using heroin Um, because it is exhausting You're trying to live your life. You're trying to take care of other children in the house. You're trying to maintain a job. And at the same time, you're trying to save the life of your child. And they usually, in some cases, they're receptive to it. But 99% of the time, they're not receptive to it. So think about your child who's dying of cancer. And they're saying, no, I refuse to go get chemo. No, I refuse to go to my doctor's appointment. No, you know, they're fighting you. So here you are trying to save your child. And they are fighting you every step of the way. Um, So the exhaustion and just kind kind of the defeat that you feel as a parent um, is, is something to recognize. So I think those, those are the things um, that help a parent kind of normalizes it versus having it be this secretive kind of, ooh, you know, icky type of thing to just say, wow, that's incredibly hard. Um, And, and when people do want to help. And people, you know, once I did start opening up, my close friends, they really wanted to help. And some of the things that that helped me was, can you look for some resources? You know, I'm, I'm exhausted. My brain is fried. I'm fighting with my kid all the time. I'm trying to get to my other kids' activities. I'm trying to maintain my job. Could you just look and see, is there a rehab in my state that takes this insurance like it's it's little things like that could that could really really help a parent take a little bit of the load off um, so I think I would just ask them is there anything I can do can I make a phone call can I you know bring you a couple of meals so you don't have to cook it's it's really pretty simple Well,
1: and I like the idea of asking about something specific I know in when you talk to people about grief work that everybody says, let me know if I can do anything. And there's a combination of people going through grief, which you are in your situation. Yeah. You know, added in with this fight for their life, you're also grieving the the life you just lost and the dreams you had for your child. And, and you're in this very scary, unknown place. And so what I um, have heard is that they don't even know what they want or need. So either just do something. If it's something like bringing over dinner, just do it. But if it's something more to be specific and say, are there phone calls I can make for you? Can I come over and do your laundry? You know, I mean, obviously you can't just go do it unless you're really close because that's seriously intrusive. <laughs> but <laughs> but to to actually do those actions and reach out rather than just a few just a few supportive words. And if you don't know what else to say, I was listening to you and I'm like, yeah, you know, there are lots of times there's a situation where I don't know what to say. And even just saying, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I don't know what to say, but I'm here for you. And no, you know, let you know that this is a person you can at least talk to. It's a place where you can get a little relief and not have to hold this secret in because that had to be yeah. hard too.
0: It's incredibly hard um, to, to have a secret that's so big and it also, you know, when the police cars are at your house a couple of times a month, it gets really hard to hide. And so then you feel really exposed and you're wondering, you know, the neighbors are talking, why are the police at your house again? And so um, I, I think that would be another thing is if If you are, if you kind of engaged a conversation and you know a mom or dad who's going through this and they say, well, you know, John called me from jail yesterday to not have the reaction of like, oh, my gosh, you know, and just kind of this like startled, stunned response. Because to us, if you're going through this, getting a call from jail or getting a call from the hospital or getting a call from school, or the truancy office, or all of these things that just seem crazy to a parent who isn't dealing with this, that's just kind of normal everyday stuff to us. And so when when somebody has this really crazy reaction, like, wow, you, wait, he's in jail, it just makes you feel worse, because you've forgotten that that's not normal, because that's just become kind of something that you deal with in life. So... That's why also connecting with other parents who are going through it helps tremendously because if I said, Yeah, you know, I was down at the jail yesterday or juvenile detention or whatever, you'd say, Oh, yeah, you know, did you find parking? I always have a hard time when I find parking. <laughs> so it's um your your world just changes and you kind of enter this world that people don't know exists. It kind of they think it exists in movies, but it actually does exist. And um when you, when you've entered that world, um, you need people around you that aren't going to kind of freak out about it. So.
1: (laughs) Well, it's true. And you forget as you have conversations, what becomes normal. Um, Right. Judy was the person who first pointed out to me casually what uh, one of my daughters actual diagnosis might be like i i knew she was different and it was we never worried about it we just kept giving her tools and resources to help her with things that were challenging her and taught her to really lean on and focus on her strengths and you know help her with any any weaknesses that would actually impact her life type of a thing but didn't weren't in a situation where we needed to get a diagnosis and so we just didn't and she just casually dropped it one day because for her talking about mental behavioral health issues was no big deal. I grew up in an Aussie and Harriet middle-class home. I never <laughs> talked about, thought about, about that. dealt with anything like that. Not because it was bad. It just wasn't part of our world. It was like when right. my kids were really young, they didn't even know divorce existed for a long time. Not because my husband and I set out to say, oh, we can't tell them. It just in our immediate circle, it wasn't an experience that was happening. So, you know, they didn't know about it until they were in elementary school, not because we hit it. It just was right. And so when she dropped it on me, it was like a bomb and she didn't, you know, she didn't mean anything by it. It wasn't anything bad. Even it was just sort of a, well, this is, but when you're not part of a world, it feels like a bomb. So right. I, I can totally see how that could happen to you where you mentioned something and we all just kind of need to, okay, take a little breath and and, yep. and and don't be shocked about it and and be there for you during that. And it makes me wonder you know, now that you've been down this road for so long, and which is something else I think we need to remember, whether you're in it or you're supporting somebody in it, this is something that goes on for years. This is not, this isn't a a broken foot that you put a cast on and mend it. This is something that goes on. And even when a child is in recovery doing well, I know that, that the parents, the moms who I talk to are still scared. Yes. This is, so this isn't something that really just goes away. And so one, that support is so important. And I want to share at the end of the interview how you're helping with that. But what do you wish that you knew then that you know now? What, you know, what would you love to be able to go back in time and tell Brenda of five years ago
0: (laughs) to help her through this? Um, I, there's a couple of things. I think one would be that my, my son was just scared and also confused and it was it wasn't something that he was doing to hurt me he wasn't trying to hurt me um you know their prefrontal cortex isn't developed when they're 14 15 16 and so you know we we talk now and i mean th- these kids do terrible things to their parents it's not a, it's not an easy road. They steal, they lie, they hurt, they, you know, the whole nine yards. And I thought that he was doing that because he really hated me. And they will tell you, I hate you. You're the worst parent in the world. You're the worst mom in the world. And they really aren't meaning to do that and trying to do that. And so it's such a, it's such a hard thing to understand because you're getting the the text messages and you're having the arguments and the door slamming and all of that. Um, but they are really scared and they're really confused, and so you kind of have to almost take them out of context and just say, "Okay, this is a person who's really hurting, and I can't, I can't take this personally." Uh, which is the hardest thing to do. But I wish somebody would have told me that um, because you know you just spend a lot of time crying, thinking you're the worst mom in the world, and you know other moms don't have to do this because they're better than you. So that's um i think that's a really important thing for for moms to, in particular to know and and i'm sure dads feel this too and i'm not in, i'm not intending to exclude dads i just am not one so it's really hard for me to know and i know my you know my ex-husband um had a lot of really painful times too and so i'm not excluding dads from this i just want to make make sure that that's clear if dads are listening i know you hurt too but i think moms that there's that umbilical relationship that we just for some reason think that we need to be able to solve it and we need to be able to, you know, fix this problem. And if your kid is using substances, that's not your job. Your job is to be a support and to pull in the professional resources. And I think that's another thing that I would want to tell myself in hindsight is, you know, you're an advertising executive. You are not a therapist. You are not an interventionist. You are not, you know, any of those things. And you're not qualified to help your child, you know, stop using drugs and and to really change their life. And I was trying to do that. And if somebody had, you know, really been able to sit me down and, and tell me that to you know, here's your role as a mom, you're here to support and tell your child that they are loved and that you are 100% for them getting help, but you're not going to fix them. This is out of your pay grade, like leave this to the professionals. Um, That would have been really helpful to know.
1: So my big note from that is it's your, it's not your job to fix them it's your job to support them and pull in resources. And then based on looking at your work and what I've heard from other moms and and dads who've gone through this is it is also your job to take care of yourself and to do your own work. So that's one of the ways you support them is learning different ways of interacting and communicating and drawing boundaries around this which helps both of you through that process. Yes. It creates a Definitely. space that they can take responsibility for themselves and their addiction and it also protects you from to some degree from some of the behaviors that can happen around that
0: absolutely and you know we could do a whole another episode on boundaries <laughs> and and that's something that is really important but yeah the taking care of yourself um you know there's everybody's heard the analogy of the you know the put your own oxygen mask on first but it's so true and you know i really did get to a point where i was so unhealthy that you know when you're not sleeping and you're not eating just those two kind of Physiological things, your mind is not clear. And so, if you're not doing those things and you're not connected to somebody who can support you and you're not healthy physically, you know, you're just at such a disadvantage if and when your child does say, Oh, you know, I do want some help. You have to be ready. I kind of, you know, I like to look at it as, you know, get yourself in the position that when that phone call comes, you are at full capacity to jump in and and provide what you can provide so you know there were times when my son you know we would talk and I would I would just literally say I can't talk right now because I can't even I can't see straight I can't think straight and that wasn't helpful to him and so it's kind of counterintuitive I think in our culture when you've got you know a job and kids and all this stuff like to put yourself first, but if you're not putting yourself first, you're really doing a disadvantage to your child. And the reality is when they're in, in addiction and when they're using these substances, there's not a lot that you can do other than to be supportive to them. Um, but one thing you can do and that you are in full control of is your own body and your own mind. And so getting yourself a therapist, getting yourself some support, Feeding yourself, drinking a glass of water—I mean, it's basic. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, we're not saying run a marathon. Just take good care of yourself. That is probably the best thing you can do for your kid at, at that point where they're in, in a full addiction, um, and, and and you just have to be prepared and have a plan for when they are ready for that help.
1: I love that, and. I know that you are also adding to that. So Mighty Parents um, on Brenda's website at brendazane.com, Z-A-N-E, brendazane.com. She has her family's story, but she also has a membership group for other moms who are going through this because, as she said, you know, you need a place. To be able to be yourself, to get that support and take care of yourself. So I love that. I appreciate Brenda that you joined us today. And I especially liked the the core message here, which is, is a little, you know, it's love, it's understanding, it's acceptance and taking care of ourselves and taking care of our child by simply loving them and taking care of ourselves. Um, not an easy task in that situation, but I think boiling it down to to that core helps and and helps parents know that you can't fix them. It's not your job to fix them and it's not your responsibility that this is what's happening right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think just knowing that you're not alone is really powerful and and it sounds really simple but if you know that you're not the only mom or dad that's going through this and that there are other parents who are in your shoes and, and that you can connect with them and it just somehow it makes you feel a little bit more empowered like okay I'm not the only person whose kid is in treatment for the third or fourth time or, you know, whatever your current situation is to know that there's another mom out there or another dad out there who is going through the exact same thing. It's, it somehow makes you just feel a little bit less scared, a little bit less, um, powerless. And then you can also just, you know, tap into things that they've done to help, um, So, yeah, just the taking care of yourself and 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 having some of the focus not be on them, because the tendency when you have a kid like this is you're just obsessed 24 seven with, you know, what can I do? And, And that's. That makes sense because they are in danger. You know, it is a life-threatening disease. Um, but to shift some of that to yourself at times can be really, really powerful. And um, and they actually see it. I think that's another thing that I would say is, when I started taking care of myself and I started saying, you know what, actually, I can't take you here I can't do this because I'm going on a walk or, you know, whatever it was, it really signaled to my son that, my life wasn't entirely him. My, I have my own life. I'm going to take care of myself and do things for myself. And, and he saw that and recognized that. So I, I think that's also important for parents to remember.
1: I think so. And thank you again, Brenda, for sharing with us today here. It's a thank beautiful you. gift that you've
0: given us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: And Mighty Parents, um, in the show notes, we will have a link to Brenda's site as well as a couple other episodes that tie into addiction. And I just want you to remember that I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here today. So thank you for joining us. And remember that if you are here, then you are Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.